citizens of the verse. Today is October 12th, 2951, and welcome to another episode of Readcast. Uh, we are a Star Citizen podcast, um, posted weekly and sponsored by the Read Organization. I'm your host, Way Too Geeky, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts. He'll be back to square one and is loving it, mm-hmm. Mr. Chekhov. Say hello, nice. Chekhov. Yes, I am excited. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and of course, the man voted most likely to have two more ships in his fleet this week. It's Mr. Seagard Olsen. That is correct. Two more. <laughs> Technically, three more. Oh, well, that'll go. Be... <laughs> oh, that's a... Uh... I thought you'd what? like that ship. Everybody what? was on the fence on it, but I think it's a nice ship. I think that's good. Well, we'll definitely talk about it a little bit more. I thought, considering there were so many sessions on CitizenCon, I thought first it would be good if we started, since there's so much content, I figured we'd jump right into CitizenCon. Um, But uh, I thought it would be good to just kind of get your impressions of the event overall compared to previous events. And then we could go panel by panel and talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, what was interesting, etc. Sound like a plan? Yes. All right. Well, Seagard, why don't you kick us off? What did you think of the event overall? Did you see all the panels? You know, what were your thoughts? So it took me a little while to form the thoughts. Um, Initially, I, I, I was blown away in the beginning by Pyro, right? Um, and you know me, I'm kind of a, always pontificating and looking for, you know, details or insights, you know, in my limited capacity. Um, at the end, I kind of felt neutral on it, right? I felt neutral mm-hmm. on the whole event. I did have to leave partway through. <clears throat> um, I, you know, I, someone mentioned the word today. My initial impression was, uh, my a good word might be lackluster, but... It was, I I have to admit, in in afterthought, as I went back and watched some areas again, I was much more enthusiastic because I think I understand the thread they were trying to follow. This was not a propaganda um, citizen con. This was not a way to make more money. Yeah. Um, This... In my mind, this really was, which is what I was kind of envisioning, right? A flashy, this is where we're going. We won't see it for two years, but we don't mm-hmm. care because it's so cool. And, um, and you know, we're going to see a ton of ships and they're going to rake in a lot of money. But I really think they gave us an insight to where they are in development and some of the opportunities they're pursuing and some of the challenges that they've been fighting and and how they've made real progress. Um, so I think at the surface level, yeah, little lackluster. But when you start looking into the details, really impressive um, as a technical review of the game. So mm-hmm. I will give it. I will give it two thumbs up. Um, saying it, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a a great assessment. Um, Chekhov, what'd you think? Yeah, this I is just, your second CitizenCon, right? Yeah, it was. But to, to me, it was uh, I 
it was extremely exciting in the beginning and the pyro and the you know the, the that whole uh, you know artifact you know gameplay loop that was uh, you know just unbelievable even though i still think we won't see it for two years but you know there's there's nothing that they showed there based on you know the, the roadmap as we know today and what they were showing there i know everybody's excited and think it's just gonna pop in, you know, in the beginning of 2022. I don't think so. But it was really disappointing that I did want to see some flash. You know, there's got to be concepts. There's got to be, you know, some, you know, stuff. You know, there was nothing about Squadron 42. And uh, Chris's closing, uh, you know, just, it, it was nothing. You know, I mean, I, I, I wanted them to close with a bang. I mean, it just, you know, it was very exciting start, but it just kind of fizzled out for me at the end. And that was really, because that was really the last impression that I left with, you know? And then I was like looking for something more. Yeah. So that's my overall impression. I, I would say they definitely front loaded the best talks at the beginning. Well, I mean, granted, that's not a hundred percent true. Yeah, I'm sorry, but, yeah, but I do have this. Sorry, no problem. Tony Z was he? That was very exciting, but it can be these, especially when you're doing this over, you know, Zoom. You know, it can be these, you know, prolonged dialogues over a cup of coffee. I mean, show us some footage. Show us something. You know. Yeah, I I will agree. Um, there was a lacklusterness to the event. It doesn't help that you don't have that live audience screaming and shouting when they see something cool. Um, but they definitely didn't close on a high note, even though uh, Tony Z is great and everything. But I feel like we didn't necessarily learn that much more than what we've already heard. And yeah, I could listen to Tony Z constantly, but it would have been nice to have something exciting at the end. It didn't have to be crazy. What I will say is I think this Citizen Con was a lot like the one from 2017 where that was the one where they had the um where they showed the Valkyrie for the first time and you started you did a mission on um the Hurston the the satellite down satellite mission and I say that from the standpoint of it didn't really show us anything radically insane, but it did give us a reasonable expectation of what we could see probably before the next Citizen Con. Or yes. close to it. That, that's what I felt like. In the past, I've always felt like things were going to come a year down the road, right? Yeah. This is the potential, but we have a lot of technical hurdles and details. What I saw, especially on the Pyro, I saw some great graphics, right? Mm -hmm. but what I saw was fully blown, you know, visuals with people talking of how they've done it. Yeah. That they, that, and I took away, they literally showed us the people who worked on the assembly line. And they yeah. did it, and it used the assembly line approach, and it was better and faster, and we can now build more of these. Yeah. As opposed to the custom nature of what we were building in Stanton, 
we did first planets manually, then we did second planets, you know, kind of hybrid, and then third was a little bit more, you know, automated, and then we brought in the automated textures, and you know, and now they've got it working. The pipeline is there. Yeah, <clears throat> and well, I, I think like it's really pyro. I think pyro's done. It's. 90% I mean, it's done. pretty far. It's pretty far along. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Um, I think what was interesting is that Chris Roberts took a really big back seat. Yeah. This year, when normally he, you know, has the best presentation and everything. Well, remember what, what he's nice been doing. What remember yeah. what he's been doing. He's been in England doing Squadron Forty Two. Yeah, I think that'll be next year's Citizen Con, almost exclusively. Personally, but they didn't talk we'll much see. about it. Yeah, we might see something during the. Um, maybe they'll do a, a Christmas live stream again. Well, I, we might. I actually think that it was. I think it was. I think it was deliberate that they did not say anything about Squadron Forty Two. I don't want to leave yeah. any conclusions, but you know, we we've now. I, I think. I think we are truly starting to see something get close. Yeah. I think we'll see it. I think I think marketing will ramp up next year and it'll release at the end of twenty twenty two or beginning of twenty twenty three. Yeah, it's but weird how who they knows. Go. But they've gone completely silent on squadron like all the way around them was. Yeah. So maybe it's some sort of a marketing tactic. Maybe they just you know, I don't know. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, well, to dive into the specific panels, uh, as you've heard us reference multiple times now, uh, the first panel was, uh, I think, considered the keynote according to Zylo, and it was a Life in the Verse panel. Um, originally, they made it sound like it was a tour of the existing Stanton system. Um, this all had Todd Pappy, Ian Leland, Dave Haddock, and many more. And it was really discussing the short-term future of the verse. So we got to see a lot of different fleshed-out ideas and concepts across Pyro, including planets, um, the different stations that have gotten destroyed from, um, you know, the, the really bad, you know, dying sun in Pyro. We got to look at the difference between jump point locations on either side of the Stanton Pyro jump point and the different personality that they've given it through the, through the um, clouds and effects there. Uh, we got a Significantly, they did not show you a jump. Yeah, no, they didn't do a jump again. Um, I think we'll see that sooner than anything. Because it's not ready. Oh, the jump point is a demo before. Yeah, we've seen a jump point. Yeah, know, twice. yeah right. We, we see that's, that's the thing. I don't know. Maybe they're changing it. I just think they didn't want to bother showing us something that didn't look any different. <laughs> I think the jump... Well, they did say... I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, we did get a look at some of the um, frontier outposts and the concepting and dressing there. And we also got a little bit of a gameplay demo where they took the same mission, although it wasn't really a mission. If you if you look at it, it was picking up an item. But um, they took the same activity and approached it three different ways. One as 
a um, member, someone who has positive rep with the faction and did it cleanly. Another one where he has positive reputation with the faction and decided to shoot someone. And then the last being uh, where they had negative uh, reputation with the faction. So they snuck around the outpost instead. Uh, We did finally also get a look at the 400i and it is being released in 315. Uh, Seagard, what'd you think of the life in the verse panel? What excited you the most? What'd you, what'd you think was the most interesting? You know, Uh, you know, I was torn between, I I absorbed both. Uh, I was afterwards, I was kind of torn between my wondering about how soon we'll see Pyro Mm -hmm. Uh, and whether we will see the habitats sooner rather than later. Um, It seemed not only just, I mean, they didn't focus on how it settles in the ground. They didn't focus on how it's, you know, built modular. They skimmed over that stuff and went right to, this is how it affects gameplay. Yeah. I would have to say, I am probably more excited about that. The, the ground habitat and gameplay that I am pyro, but pyro is pretty impressive. Yeah. What about you, Chekhov? What'd you think? Yeah, the 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 haps and the the new FPS play. The, by far, this the the single most exciting segment for me of the whole Citizen Con is just uh, it it's just different. It it's more exciting. You know, you have NPCs above ground outside the buildings. You know, you you know you can vertically tra- traverse through through the habs. Like you said, you could play both sides of the fence become, you know, sort of a, you know, all of a sudden you went from a good citizen and just turn around, start, you know, shooting everybody in sight, you know, looting clothes, changing into their clothing. I mean, that whole thing was amazing. And I'm just like looking at this and honestly, and that's what kind of said, no, this is not happening until at least a year from now. I mean, I could see, that's why I said the pyro coming out, with some, you know, stations that they showed, you know, with limited functionality. I just don't see, I, I, I'd love to be wrong because this was really cool. Even yeah. a couple habitats in Stanton would be amazing, right? I mean, yeah. that would change gameplay immensely. Oh, yeah, those things are just incredible. It just gave such a good vibe, you know. And, you know. Right, and the AI was, like you said, the AI was... Um, finally starting to make sense, right? It just wasn't dressing in the room. Um, it, yeah, it wasn't It wasn't perfect, but it, it. they had behaviors. They moved a little bit. There were some... I think what, what was really interesting is they showed the different time of day. So um, the shopkeeper who you this. got the artifact from during the day... When they did it, where where the person had to sneak around, that person was already in their room now. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's the kind of thing that um, that's the kind of thing. When I went back the second time, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. There's lots yeah. of games that'll put a shopkeeper there and you interact with you, grab an item. But the fact that the characters not only follow a different procedure, they not only move around now. They actually follow a routine based on the cycle of the day. That's significant. 
Yeah. How yeah. about the ye- yellow yellow grass? Oh my god. Oh, I know. It looks right. so good. Back yeah. in the clouds. The clouds. Yeah. Oh yeah, really yeah. Great. When they were they were landing through those clouds and the 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 the, the raindrops and the windshield. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I wish they would have this instead right now. Yeah. I mean, the clouds aren't far behind. I feel like uh, it, the only thing is, I think they're worried about performance issues. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe they are far behind. Who knows? Um, I really liked the fact that when they built these outposts, they were they were thinking about options. You know, it was like, like you said, check off the verticality. The you can you could sneak around. You could, they had tons of windows, so you could kind of do a little reconnaissance. You could take your time and really figure out the best way to go about accomplishing your goal, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, and the 400i looked pretty cool. <laughs> how much, how much, or did either of you catch how much um, they were looking at the, um, you know, the building of that? kind of those three scenarios, if that was like a assembly line built thing or if it was custom uniquely built just for this show? Well, if you think about it, they didn't actually have any mission markers. And the reason being is if you look, it wasn't really a mission. It was really this was a shopkeeper and you could go buy the artifact. Now, granted there could be a quote unquote mission where you have to buy an artifact, but in this instance you could choose to buy it or you could choose to gun down the shopkeeper or you can choose to sneak around and then eventually steal it from the shopkeeper. Um, Or not even play that. Just come back another day. Yeah. I mean, it's like casual. It's not a scripted mission. You're absolutely right. I hadn't really thought of that. Yeah. It is just an interaction. Yeah. Um, they they played it like it was a mission, even though we don't know what why someone would maybe it is to hey, this this really rich collector on Terra is looking for a Hadesian artifact and um just got a lead that you can get one here. Yeah, that could be a mission someday. Um and you could be you could decide to be either, you know, someone who's going to pay outright or since the person's going to have you imagine, think of it this way, because they said it was $5 million, but if you looked, it was actually a $15 million artifact. Wow. Imagine yeah. if you were in sort of a gray zone or more criminal oriented, but your rep didn't really reflect that with the buyer then the buyer is probably going to give you the money to pay for the artifact. And so all you have to do is get the artifact. The buyer's not going to know whether or not you gun down the outpost. I mean, they might hear about it, but then that means you probably are making the decision between like $15 million and, you know, a few hundred thousand yeah, it's cool. And if you notice, it was like a sort of a from some some uh, almost a piece of a circular mm-hmm. object, right? I could, I could imagine missions now. You know, you have to go to Pyro and you get this from Pyro, and then some other system will have an, another 
piece of it and then you put together this circle which potentially could be worth you know 10 times that, you know, i picture finding like it out in the wild and and having it on your ship also yeah yeah, yeah um, they, they definitely opening it up to some you know a whole host of possibilities the only problem with this whole thing, you know, your real life is really going to get in the way to be able to now you really got to invest some time. You know, can you imagine we're talking about we spent so much time in one system now. Now they're going to open up another system. I mean, agree. And my guess is we're not going to get one system at once. I, my guess is we're going to get two or three or maybe even four. Yeah. Because they're just going to keep building systems while while they finish um, server meshing. And we know Nix is is pretty far along too. Not as far as Pyro, but it's it's not doing too bad. And then rumor has it that um, Magnus is being worked on um, and some others. So, you know, it'll be, it'll be pretty interesting to see. I think if they get it, if they launch it, my, if I, if I were a betting person, it'll probably be the same patch next year, this patch next year. Um, Cause that seems to be when all the other things come off of the, roadmap that are sort of dependent on it and it's the first uh quarter we don't have any data for um but like they said server meshing is a prerequisite for pyro and once server meshing is done then it'll be 4.0 so yeah well that's the trick but but again the reason why i'm i'm kind of being pessimistic about it because if you look at the current roadmap it ends in what Q two probably next yeah. year, right? Yeah. So Q two, and so you you think that four we open up with with Pyro, possibly. Yeah, I mean they, they said they said four would be when server meshing is done, and then Pyro can be launched in 4.0 as well. And I think Nix will join it and maybe another system or two, especially because there's some other content on the roadmap that makes me think that. I, I think so. until then, they'll start to flesh out more stuff. Like probably, they'll probably add more gameplay areas in the in the rooftops of these buildings that we see all the time, um, which is what Benoit's team is doing. Uh, they'll probably add more local content to Stanton will probably see, you know, the replacement of Port Olisar will probably see the uh, true Aaron's halo and maybe even the gateways uh, in between them. And, and likelihood is at least based on what leaks discord has said, we'll probably see a test jump point at some point, but within the Stanton system to go from one part of Stanton to the other. I, you know, I think of how long, how long can they go without a major, you know, package that can actually be sold and generate revenue on its own? <clears throat> I think the longer game is something totally different. I mean, I actually think yeah. it's multiple games, multiple environments, like, you know, an ancient, you know, medieval version of this and selling the engine. But, yeah, you know, we're, we're at seven or eight years right now. 
and the and the you know they've said in the past that you know eight to nine years is typical AAA game, bringing it to 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 life. Um, you know, I can't see it going more than another year without coming to life. Yeah, I wonder if they ever gonna because by the time they're done, I mean uh, NFTs are gonna be flourishing. I mean this game is primed for that. They, I I almost think they may. They may consider that. I mean, you know, instead of paying for JPEGs and, you know, you actually can truly, you know, NFT them all, you know, the ships. And this, and this is, you know, I'm, I am a project manager and I do work in software development have for many years. And rarely do you, even in, in fact, you never go completely linear in a program or, or, a major project. Everything is done in parallel. Mm. And certainly with, you know, 300 plus people is not a small software development company. It's a small company. It's well, there small are 700. <laughs> yeah, this, this is huge. I mean, to I'll keep right back, not, by the way. Yeah. I mean, our guys, uh, when I was in the Army, I worked in the software development center at Fort Lee. I think we had around 600 people and that did the entire army supply system and most, and most of the logistic systems as a whole. So those are huge packages, you know, you would get 10 or 11 CDs, um, per package and multiple servers and multiple, you know, network devices and, and tape backups and everything else to get it running. Um, so you had satellite communications teams and everything else. I think I think they've been working in parallel, and I think we're they just hinted at how far along they are. Yeah, I thought you stepped away. I did. Oh, okay, I was squint. I would like to say it was like some kind of bio break or there's something with my cats, but to be quite honest, it's my demons wanted to get some more whiskey. Uh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and Chekhov would love to know that I got a bunch of really awesome bitters. <laughs> oh, I guess uh, so. I, I, I would guess that you're having those uh, old fashions again. Uh, right now, it's just uh, on the rocks, but I, it is the season. Um, anyhow, uh, so. Next panel was Ship Talk with uh, John Crew and company. Um, we got a look at two new ships. The 400i, we got a deeper look into the concepting and, and the idea behind it and everything and a little look inside. And then we got the Anvil Liberator, which I guess counts as the big ship um, for this patch. Um, or this, uh, this citizen con, um, which is all a hybrid. It's sort of a, um, two to three ship transport ship for the fighters that really shouldn't be traveling long distances as well as some vehicles. It's a two person crew, really awesome looking ship. It's a mini carrier. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. And by the way, you, you called it. You know, I remember we were talking about what are they, we were guessing what, what they're going to announce. 
and you said they probably they are missing an anvil. Well, you said capital ship, but this is close. Yeah, it's relatively large. It's it's compact still, but um, and then of course we got uh, the the ship the beloved ship that they updated us on was the Banu Merchantman, uh, and they went through the reconcepting conversation. Uh, what's changed? It's gotten bigger. Uh, why though? They created a hangar bay for the Defender, and the Defender. You know, when it is landed, is a little, you know, uh, has a footprint. So it got bigger. It looks great. It doesn't seem to have changed too much. I would say that textures got a little bit more refined looking. Um, and then last but not least, we got four new ships to vote on. So if you guys recall from 2018, 2949, we... Uh, voted on four ships slash vehicles to make it into the game. All but one has made it in, and we're we're I'm gonna guess that IAE, the fourth one's gonna make it in. They were the um, the Rock, uh, the Gatak Raylan, the um, what can I think of it? The Talon, and now mm-hmm. we're waiting on a refinery ship, which. I'm sure we'll see soon. They sort of hinted that it'll be soon, but the four ships that we can vote on this year are one that I think Seaguard was really probably excited to talk about because it is a large competitor to the Carrick. Um, another ground vehicle. They didn't specify what um, an alien hover vehicle looked like a bike as well. And then a solo seat bomber. Um, the only thing we know about any of these ships that didn't go into as much detail as they did the last time uh, is it sounds like it's a very good chance that the competitor to the Carrick will be something MISC-oriented. Uh, so, Seaguard, what did you think of the event or the, the session? Uh, thoughts, takeaways, feelings? I, I liked it a lot. Um, you know, it's always good. Um, 400 I is, is great. I mean... I'm glad, you know, that uh, someone did capture it, obviously, early on. and But it is a great-looking ship. More importantly, I like what it brings to the table. You know, it's, it's, it's a very nice competitor to the Cutlass Black. Um, maybe a little bit more. You know, it's got that same cargo amount, same rough crew size, better accommodations. and uh, But it's, you know, it's definitely a competitor to the to the cutlass black. Um, I, I don't know that I'd go as far as to say it's a competitor to, let's say the Aquila. Um, Which is funny. Cause that's what they would, they would say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would go that far. I, it's, um, you know, it does get a ground vehicle and it gets a bike. Okay. And it gets some sensors, but so does the Aquila. Right. But if you look at the Drake, the Drake can carry two bikes and a rock or uh, or a, a small vehicle. And, you know, it's it's a capable ship. It's it can carry the same amount of cargo, actually a little bit more. Um, multiple bunks. I guess what it doesn't have is the kitchenette in the in the in the Drake Cutlass. 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I see it as I, I, it's role or a toilet. Or <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I do see it as being more in line with the role of the Aquila, but I think that uh, I think it's closer to a Cutlass Black in its capabilities. The Aquila is just, a, I think, a much bigger, much more robust ship. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think, Chekhov? Um, again, I was, uh, you know, I do agree with Ch- with the uh, cigar that's comparable more so to Cutlass, even though supposedly should be up against the Connie. But like for a person that has, you know, all the ships and, you know, sure, he would throw it into his fleet. Uh, for me personally, I would take the Cutlass over from pure utilitarian standpoint. Uh, and I, I think uh, in in battle also, I think Cutlass would, would probably be a better ship, a better equipped also. You know, yeah, it's, it's a better looking ship. But again, I'm not a huge fan of the origin. I just typically stick to the, you know, the Drake line. And I know you mm. don't really like Drake as much. Uh, but just from pure practical standpoint, me personally, I would take the Cutlass and also, you know, price-wise. The one thing I will say is the um, the number of missiles on the uh, 400i is pretty impressive. I think it's, what, 36? Uh, I have on my Cutlass right now 54. 54? Yeah, if you, if you switch them to all ones. Oh, well, this is... This is um, eight, 18 size twos and 18 size ones. Yeah, so you, you could cut this as comparable if you, if, yeah. you, if you mix them up. Yeah. And then a size three shield. Uh, is it a size three? I thought it was a size two. No, on the uh, 400i, it's a size three. Okay, see that I missed. And, and cutlass is what, Sigurd, you probably, I think, Cutlass may have two twos. Yeah, it's a medium-sized ship. Yeah, so it's a. I think it's a good ship. I bought it. Well, I upgraded. I um, CCU'd my Terrapin. Sorry, Terrapin. Mm. To right. it. Um, I, and got I would a few of the paints, <laughs> and then uh, I'll probably end up not using it because if I'm gonna put three crew on a ship, I might as well get a fourth or fifth person and crew something else. You know, you know, what ship <laughs> it's, you know, what ship it is comparable to in some ways is the Phoenix. Sure. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, the, the Phoenix, Phoenix can carry three passengers at least maybe four or five plus the crew, but it does have the defense system. It has the better shields, the better weapons, it can carry less of a vehicle, right? It can carry a Taurus, but it doesn't have as much cargo space as the other Connies do. Um, and instead of a jet bike, it gets the uh, the fighter, right? The yeah, seventy two Archimedes. Yeah, um, I would I would say it, it does okay against if you're if you're looking at the exploration role. It does fine against the um, Corsair, but the Corsair has 
firepower. So it's that's the big difference. Yeah. But I have a feeling what will set Origin apart besides the style, and don't forget the subsequent reputation that you get for flying stylish ships um, is probably going to be in the scanning slash plotting mm-hmm. space. Like it could be, I don't know because we don't know how jump points are going to work, but if, if that could go through a small jump point, then maybe that's what I use to chart my small jump points um, and the Carrick for the others. Who knows? But yeah, it was interesting. Now, Seaguard, you, you got both ships, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew you would get the Liberator for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't going to get it. it, it <laughs> like, a, like a knucklehead, I was... Well, it's you know how you find that dollar in the bottom of your pocket and you go, hey, if I'm a dollar, mm-hmm. then you open it up, there's like a $5 bill there instead. Like, hey, $5, $6. So I, uh, this is kind of one of those stories. I was going through my ships trying to figure out I was melting some, some paints and stuff. And I had about 170-something in credits. And I figured, oh, maybe I'll get something if it comes out and it's small. Maybe I'll get it. Maybe I just won't get anything. Well, as I went through, I looked and looked at my first pack, and I saw Liberator, and you know, and the Liberator, a couple of other uh, Crusader. I'm sorry, I saw my Crusaders and everything else in my Tycoon pack. Then I went over to my Anvil pack, and I was looking through there, and I saw the Crucible again, and I went, "Wait a minute, I have two Anvil Crucibles," <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't know. <laughs> it's like I don't want to duplicate ships, so between the credits I had. Uh, I could get the Liberator. Uh, but then I thought, well, I want the 400i too. Um, so then I went and melted a bunch more paints and stuff like that that I had around all the Aurora paints and things and melted oh, those wow. down and uh, had enough to buy the Liber- or the uh, Liberator and the 400i, I think, with nice. 30 extra bucks. It may, it I, may have been none, but it was right at it. I and, melted uh, my Rock DS. Oh, did you? I kept my Yeah, and then I upgraded my Terrapin, and so then I got the 400i and all the different paint skins, the gotcha. different skins, because I loved, I loved the concierge one. Oh, looks so good. It does. I didn't get any of the skins with. Uh, I didn't get any of the skins with it. I just got. I figured everyone it looks else is good at skins. So I it looks good its own colors. Yeah, it looks good yeah. as a white ship. I like yes. the silver one of the game in the uh, demo. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. And the wear and tear on it looked pretty impressive. Yeah, but but yeah. to me, the Liberator was such a like a unique ship because there's really nothing like it. Well, it's it's still in concept, but but it really fit like fills a very nice niche. You know, it's a especially fairy. jumping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for jump points, it's it's great. I mean, and yeah. it's. It only requires two crew. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. that's the beauty of it, right? It's not something like you know, you, you're not like if you don't necessarily need a kraken, you know, you're going on this quick mission, like you know, to steal an artifact, right? You know, <laughs> you put a couple of fighters on, you know, uh, some ground vehicles, boom, and you jump. Yeah, it's it. It seems like a good. And it also holds decent amount of cargo too. I feel like it's a good. Hey, I'm thinking I'm going to move my ops for a little bit to Pyro, so I'm going to take 
a couple of my ships, some of my vehicles, you know, even if you're, if you're moving mining ops, you bring your prospector on the top, Mm -hmm. your rocks in the hold, you know, maybe I think only one prospector will fit on there, but then you could even carry, um, because that front pad could hold something, I think, like a Pisces. I actually was thinking of how many Merlins you could fit on it. Oh, probably a thousand. Yeah, we throw, <laughs> you, know, you could put four or five. That would be your own little escort. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a pocket carrier. Oh, it's a, it's a pretty capable fighter, you know, like up, you yeah. know, in the atmosphere, especially. Yeah. It's well, and the good part agile. about it is. It, I think it, it, it. Do I recall correctly? It has point defense turrets. Yes, it does. And yeah. you don't necessarily need a defensive uh, team following you because if you have the pilots to the ships you're transporting, then they yep. just go to battle. You know, in yeah, the ships right. they have. So it's pretty interesting. Um, which ship are you most excited for? Of the four that they have us voting on, Seaguard, is it that science vessel or exploration ship? What were the four again? There's the ex- it is, science exploration. It is a competitor to the Carrick, very likely Misk. Okay. Then generically, they said a ground vehicle, but they used kind of a larger vehicle, like a truck. Yeah, like a yeah, it looked kind of like. Well, they showed a ballista as one of the sort of like concepty things. Um. An alien hover vehicle is what it looked like. Probably a bike, but hard to tell. And then a single-seat bomber. Yeah, not interested in the single-seat bomber. Not yeah. interested in the four-pad hover bike because we can't even get him into our ship still. Yeah. Um, they need to fix hover. Yeah, and then um, I would say, ooh, it's really tough because – I did want a competitor to ships. That was remember that was my theme a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I wanted more competitors. Uh, I think I would rather see a competitor to like the whole sea. I think that would have been really exciting. Um, but uh, ooh, it's tough. The truck is cool. If if the truck is a ground base, like uh, a way to like you can log off on the ground, you can go to bed in it like a ship. I'm for the ground vehicle. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the plus side is they'll all be released within the next year or two. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. I, I've always wanted to be able to take a vehicle and do an extended tour of a planet on the ground, right? You know, kind of the lost in space. We're out here in our little, you know, vehicle driving around, um, investigating and discovering. I think that would be cool. So I'll go mm-hmm. with the vehicle. Okay. What about you, Chekhov? Which one are you hoping for there first? Yeah, the, uh, the, the well, I know what I'm hoping for. I don't know what's going to happen because I was looking at a chat and it was 90%, you know, they were voting for A, which is the exploration ship. And, and that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Same here, even though chances are it won't best my favorite ship, um, especially the thumbnails that they showed didn't look really nice, but I think it's great to have a different aesthetic. I think like we said, the last time we talked about this, um, I love the Carrick one. 
it probably won't change my view of what ship I like. But if it changes anyone else's, then I'll see less Carricks out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Um, I have a feeling the Carrick will remain like they'll have its own pluses and minuses you know they'll find ways to make one interesting and one not interesting it's hard to say when exploration is so far off in the distance um awesome now i didn't get a chance to watch this video but it was a highly technical video on gen 12 and multi-core vulcan um and how it's going integrating it into the game. Uh, looks like they've been slowly integrating it, uh, you know, putting some aspects in sooner rather than later. So we might see some minor performance gains, but there's, it's still a work in progress. Did anyone have anything to add to that? Uh, no, I took a break on that one. Yeah. So, so to me, I, I know that I, I have used Vulcan on a couple of games that have put in the API. Chekhov um, speaks Vulcan. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, with a slight Russian accent. That's what I thought they were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I like but, that uh, it, it is, it does increase your frame weights. I mean, frame rates. I mean, I went from, you know, I can turn it on and off in one of my games and I'll typically see 15 to 20 frames per second better with it on. It's significant, oh, wow. right? It really does change the way things work. Uh, so I was glad to see that they're discussing that. And it kind of, to me, tied in with the theme of they repeatedly were talking about um, how much efficiency they've gotten out of the systems, right? You know, they've dropped this by 350 milliseconds or they've dropped that by this much and, you know, 200% drop or, you know, improvement in speed. And, um, the, you know, the ability to knock things out that are slowing the system down, I think is great. I think that, you know, Vulcan is absolutely the next step. It's being adopted by most games. So, mm. and, it, and the ones that I've done it, I've had it done in, there is little to no negative impact. I mean, I, I don't, well, it's multiple games. It's two or three, three games. And all of them have just been working flawlessly. You literally just check a box in the game, and then now it just runs 15 frames faster. I mean, it's that simple. It's not like it got less, you know, beautiful or it stuttered or it, it just ran better. I mean, it's, it really is like a magic switch. Um, so I'm excited to see that. <clears throat> awesome. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see the performance gains. I just is sort of one of those ones where I'm like, this isn't the kind of thing that intrigues me. (laughs) Um, so yeah, uh, next section, I think was a little bit more interesting. It was crafting worlds. They went into some of the tech that, um, we saw in the first demo, um, you know, just sort of seeing how they're doing with um, really making our planets scatter uh, assets better, more natural. Uh, like you sort of said earlier, um, making it more procedural, but at the same time, 
making it interesting, right? It, it still gives that handcrafted feel, but at the same time, it looks more engaging. Um, and they did, I, I think the most interesting thing that they talked about in that section was the outposts and not only the outposts, but how they're building the tool to scatter outposts in such a way that it'll likely be in our hands when we craft our homesteads, which I think was the mm. most interesting. We also got to see an update on rivers, so they're not just dropping the ocean assets in there, um, but there's a ways to go there as well. Uh, what'd you think, Seagard? I lost the bubble. I'm going to pull a check off. Could you repeat the question, please? Mm-hmm. Oh, what'd you think of the crafting worlds session? Oh, oh I thought it was extremely cool. I thought it was very cool. I mean, you're talking about the moss and all that? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. They talked about all sorts of things, including um, yeah. what I liked was the the outpost part of the conversation and how they built the tool yes. so that it, it's usable for us. Yeah. And, and I just I thought it was a great section. Again, I'm all for the assembly lines being done and you know the the tool sets being in place, right? That to me is going to show the potential to explode and either have started already producing a large amount of content or will be in the immediate near future, right? Like, yeah, I, th- I thought it was great, and the way they went back and forth between too much and not enough of the uh, moss and and then they added a little bit of the sprites on the rocks to give it a little bit of motion. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, the overall effect is amazing. And, and they also talked about how, um, you know, they used to hand place all those patterns and shrink the sizes yep. um, so you could cover large areas. Now they're just you know, massive sections are being painted at a time and they're just tweaking it. <clears throat> I'm just, you know, blown away by it. Yeah. Yeah, same here. It's it truly is. They are building something unique. Even the I, tools that they build it with. I mean, we we often talk about this, but just the. I mean, one of the reasons I like to log out on a planet, even though it breaks, <laughs> I have to do a reset half the time. Is sometimes I just find that view, and I'm just like, wow, this is really freaking cool. Mm. <clears throat> there's nobody shooting at me. There's nothing going on. There's wind blowing, and I'm just like, man, I just want to take off my helmet, put on my soft cap on, or my hat on the guy, and sit back in a lawn chair, and start a fire, right? <laughs> Go campfire. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I want to be there. Yeah, like the greener parts of Microtech are yeah. incredible. The the mountains in the uh, in the demo they showed the you know the ship uh, coming in the land. They look like the Swiss Alps. They look like the yeah. Rockies in winter. Well, that was great. one thing they also talked about was yeah. that they were able they're able to get higher um, cliffs and va- and peaks and everything that they weren't before, right? Um, which was awesome. One of the you know uh, one of the things I haven't seen them demonstrate yet. Um, we didn't see a lot about rivers, right? And what we also haven't seen is a a city in the ocean like the old show atlantis stargate atlantis yeah or the clone wars where they had they were 
where the Gungans live. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even, uh, or the the cloners. Yeah, the guys who made the clones were at, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the breaking waves and we haven't seen that. We we do have some plant. There is a planet sort of like, why can't I think of the name of the cloners now? Uh, Begins with a K. Anyway, um, we do have a, I believe there's a planet similar to that. But, um, we, well, they did show the rivers in the in the Crafting World segment. segment oh, and it was that. interesting. I yeah, it was that. near the end. It was near the end. It was, it was pretty short. Yeah, they were showing, they were showing off how they stopped using the ocean water to drive the current. And they started creating a, a river specific asset but it still looks a little wavy and not much like you don't see a lot of rapids yet so i think they have some development to go with but it's a start yeah no that's right because they were talking about the waves are actually exactly that's right yeah i do remember that part now yeah well what did you think check off actually i i missed this one oh it's a good one yeah, maybe I'll, I'll rewatch it. It's a good one. It's sort of like part of the stuff in life in the verse panel, except it showed a lot more about sort of how they're creating. It's a lot of it's how they're. It's almost like it's giving us as as backers the sense that hey, we could spin up biomes and planets really quick now, mm-hmm. and. The coolest part was at the end, check off. They were like, oh, we can make an outpost like this. And they were like, mm. boom, 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 boom. Fully fleshed out outpost. Wow. That's impressive. with different archetypes and it will randomize and it'll and it'll make everything fit together in a cohesive way. And they were saying how we'll be able to do something similar. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, we'll plug that into a pioneer and it'll have to build it, but still. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was good. You know, I, I probably gushed enough in between. Um, next session was server meshing and the state of persistence with Paul Rydell and Benoit Beausjour. Um, and it was pretty technical, <laughs> not going to lie. Uh, they were going through sort of the, uh, it, it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, if, if either of you have watched that. But it feels as though even even after they've decided to do server meshing, it feels like they almost changed the way they perceive server meshing to be because it feels it feels like they had to do some testing and they found out some information. They incorporated that into um, the process, but it was super technical. All I can say is wow, it's a lot of work and most of the work is done on the architecture side. It's just now all the other teams have to incorporate it into their code. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of when they moved to Lumberyard. Um, did anyone catch that? Did you see it, uh, Seaguard? Yeah, I did. Um, 
I was typing in the question of the week. I, I did. Um, <laughs> and I left partway through it. Uh, and this, you're talking about the one with Tony and then we're talking? No, this no, was no, the no, server no, meshing. The, oh, the... I, I, um, I did not. I had to get up at that time oh. to take a shower to get ready to go out. Oh, it was good. It was it was highly technical. Right. Um, did did you yeah, check off? I, I did, and I agree with you. It was. I mean, it was more of sort of you know the same. We we've heard this many times over, but you know, yes, and I hundred percent agree with you. Uh, you know, it just gives you appreciation of what they're going through and and why it's taking so long because this is mm. really really a complex undertaking you know yeah. and, um, but but i think once it does come together i yeah I, that's that's really and that's why i keep on saying okay you know uh being as complicated as it is i could see this thing being pushed you know, we may not see this in Q2 of next year. This may go like Q3, and that's why I'm saying Pyro. They, you know, honestly, they, they, they'll have no choice. they got to roll out Pyro before next Citizen Con, or it's a huge egg on their face. So they're going to do their best to do it, but but it's going to be close. It's going to be close because we all know once this thing rolls out, it's going to be buggy. You know, we're speaking of which I can't get into PU as we speak been trying for like an hour uh and you know and people can get to ptu just you know it's just what we deal with and can you imagine of this new tech being rolled out you know server meshing i could see a lot of things going wrong and yeah. on top of that you've got to launch pyro so i you know and they're not going to do it i think they're going to launch server meshing it's going to need to become stable and that's going to take time and only after that the rest will come so it's yeah. going to be challenging. Well, here's the thing. I think there's a couple there's a couple things. One, the difference between static and dynamic server meshing is huge. And both are very experimental. I think that that's the one big takeaway from that conversation is there are still a lot of unknowns. So while I think by the Q3 patch we'll have 4.0 and that's probably their goal it they could hit a snag that impacts everything um and it really has to do with the servers communicating a, a handover or a handoff between the player the client really you know like passing the client over to different servers or whatever although i get the sense that maybe that's not actually handled the way i think it is that's how complex it is, but either way, they're still in an experimental phase because the way they described it is the ideal is if they can, we have one massive server, essentially. It's a network of servers. It's not one server. It's a network of servers that, that really store everything, and we're all in it together. But reality is they don't know they don't know if we're ever going to be able to do that that's their goal they think they can do it but they have to test it and i guess we'll see <laughs> i i think they've done the testing in a controlled environment yeah i think they need to do it testing at scale so 
I could definitely see Stanton staying in one configuration, like the current fit configuration, but let's hmm. say a portion, a small slice of pyro being set up to be the new system or even a portion of Stanton, you know, set up to be a portion uh, to work that way as the pilot test. And as they scale them up, you end up with an instance that is all Stanton and one that's all pyro. And, uh, you know, then they merge, they build more of those. (laughs) My guess, and this is based on, and I think I mentioned this before a while back, my guess is whenever they do put that in internal jump point in Stanton, my guess will be that that will be when they're testing static server meshing. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Because they might separate one of the planets of Stanton out from the servers and see if they can connect using the jump point as some sort of mechanic. Yeah. That's my like guess. microtech being that kind of. Yeah. They said bullshit. it was a microtech to Hurston or microtech to Arc Corp. One of those jump point. Yeah. yeah I could see that happening. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, the fact that they, you know, they were able to talk so in depth on their, on the technology means that they've had the architecture for a while and having the architecture, then you can start building out, you know, the, details of how things will actually function. So I have a feeling that some of that functionality has already been designed for the other sections of the game, you know, that are not. Oh, 100%. Right. So now it's the execution of when do we cut things over and, you know, um, and, and how do we get everything cut over from this one department and what's the sequence of steps? And I could see that taken, you know, from the day you say go, you have a plan, but you say go, I can see that being two months, three months. That's a good quarterly goal. Um, well, the the way they make it sound is, at least in this, in this uh, conversation there, was that the architecture is there. It's pretty much done. Yeah. At least for static server meshing. What, what it requires is all the other game teams to move their code because I guess, I guess it's sort of like, I'm trying to think of an example that might actually make sense. Even just your items. Yeah. Right. Your access to items on your personal inventory have to also move over to the server that you're moving over to. Right. I don't know. That's the best possible. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting. It was very complex. Benoit was a little easier to understand. Yeah. Um, and persistence, you know, it's coming. That the you know we're seeing we're going to start to see elements of everything. Well, we're over. We're, we've already been seeing them. To yeah. Be quite honest. Um. Next was The Sounds of Space, and I'm going to be honest, guys. I started watching it. I tried to watch uh, it, and I, I really just couldn't. It, it was boring the hell out of me. I'm really? so sorry. I had to leave my head. I, I didn't have to, but I chose to abort, and no offense. 
I thought it was going to be more about actual sound design. And instead, it was more about building a tool for the QA process around sound. And I just, it was, it was technical, but also something that I'm like, yeah, this sounds great. Mm-hmm. I wish I heard more sounds. Yeah. So, uh, does that, did anyone watch this or was it just, yeah. it was just me who tried to? I mean, I was kind of online, but I didn't watch it. Yeah. It was, yeah. It, it was, I don't even think Nubifier shortened it. I don't even know if he has a video on it yet. It, no offense to them that everyone's putting in hard work. It just wasn't anything that interested me. Well, then it sounds like we should jump to the last presentation, which was systemic gameplay stream of thought with Tony Z, Rob Reiniger, Ben Dorsey, and Luke Presley. So a lot of that was around the dynamic mission system and what they've learned from implementing it so far, how they're going to continue to modify that. Um, I thought it was really interesting that the Ninetales lockdown really um, sort of has like a a piece of duct tape on it to try and make it work the way they want it to. Um, But you can tell like this test bed is really interesting. I think the cool part is they're creating these, let's just call them recipes. They're creating mission recipes to throw a bunch of recipes into an environment that can change because of a variety of different factors so that we have a living, breathing, unique, interesting experience right? all the time, um, which I thought was cool. And they talked a little bit about Jumptown 2.0. It's actually kind of basic, but what it is is one of, one of the three drug labs is going to um, start selling, start giving away free boxes. And the hope is that players create emerging gameplay where they're trying to lock down that location for a period of time. Cause it can be extremely lucrative. So that's cool. Um, and then last but not least, they, they continue to talk about the wonderful world of the dynamic economy and dynamic missions, uh, using quantum, uh, did you happen to catch this Seaguard? I I did not. I need to go back in there and uh, watch that piece. It's I long. Was... It's an hour and a half. Oh, that's yeah. all right. I got nothing better to do this year. No, it was it was really fascinating. <laughs> it was good. It was, it, they're all they're always good. I just like I said the but I, it was really too much to take for an hour and a half of, of a round table with cups of coffee, and it was not even a dialogue. It was more well. It started with a dialogue. It became a monologue. You know, yeah, they needed to really color it up with more props. It was just wow. Yeah. And he's such a fast talker. Also, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was kind of following it along because he is really good, and it's always you know fascinating to listen to him. But uh, for for a casual sort of a listener, I guess there's no such thing when you're watching Citizen Con. We're all into it, but still, I, I would have liked to have seen something a little bit, you know, more from him. Like, like he did in the last Citizen Con, you know, uh, he got into the dynamic economy, but there was a lot of it. Was, it was more of a show and tell. I mean, it 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 helped that Quantum was new. You know what I mean? Like, 
it was really impressive to see that for the first time. But now he he did we did get to see it a little bit again, but it didn't really hit home the same way because it's sort of a addition to what we've already heard. I, I think Nubafire quantified this entire Citizen Con in a perfect way. He said, if you've never watched anything about Star Citizen and this was your first experience, you're going to come away being like, oh my goodness, this is insane. But for those of us who've watched all the different pieces of content, we didn't really get much new the most we got that was new was looking in pyro and the ship conversation and maybe some of the the world building and but we didn't really get any hard updates on anything in the sense of like the server meshing panel didn't say hey guess what it's going to be launching this time next year and rightfully so i think they have targets that they're hoping for and they have estimations but there's just too many unknown factors that could screw it up so then they're not going to call it out. I don't think, I don't think tomorrow's roadmap update. All of a sudden we're going to see where 4.0 is going to land. You know what I mean? I think it's going to be a pretty basic roadmap update. Tomorrow's is that when it comes out? You said, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, it's funny for me when I, I watched part of the Tony Z thing before I left. Um, he was talking with the two, Two other guys. One of the things that kind mm-hmm. of did strike me was um, that, you know, he is, before he always seemed to be just the guy who would dive into the details and Chris would always have to pull him back up to the, oh, there's an audience out here, man. You need to, don't get down a little bit or you know, stop going off of these little tangents. But, you know, it was good. Um, this time I saw something that I think was more positive to me in that he's not just a one man sounding board, you know, listening to himself. He's got at least two other guys that are methodical in their thinking and they, you know, they, they, they understand the business, right? They're trying to put together the reality of what can, what can we do? And, um, and I, I thought that was an interesting take in the past. It's always felt like he was a one man show and I didn't know how he was going to drive anything uh, other than having great ideas, right? Um, I, I think that he has the ability now to set some vision of where they can go. Yeah. So that's what little I took away from it. But I didn't see really much about the quanta or any of that discussion. I was heading out the door. Yeah. I mean... I agree. Like, it's really interesting to see not just him talk about some of these things, um, but others. And I mean, if anything, it just continues to make me go, okay, this really is going to be a pretty fleshed out game and they know what they're doing. It's just, there's some limitations that we know it's not going to be a lightning rod come you know, right. server meshing. Right. It's not going to be a lightning rod come this or that. But at least right now, I, I think the difference between this year and maybe even part of last year compared to other years, yes, we saw radical changes other years because 
there were so many differences in the game. And now we're seeing, I mean, this patch coming up is pretty radically different. But what we're seeing is foundational stuff that that doesn't just tie into our immediate experience, but impacts everything going forward. Yeah. And it's only going to get more complex and more interesting and more engaging. Yeah. Yeah. I still want to know why we haven't gotten new um, mission givers, though. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I suspect not a lot of people are using the mission givers. Um, That's probably true. I mean, how many times have we gone down and actually accessed the mission giver and said, hey, I want to take that mission and taking a bunch of guys out and see what happens? We haven't. Um, yeah. Because I, I, they're iffy if they work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that. Um, there's definitely that. I, I saw, you know, I heard the little bit about trade and, pricing of trade and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. That was, that was, I don't know how I felt about that. I, I, you know, I I want, I know that it can't be instant to make a lot of money, right? And it's got to be hard to make money. It's hard in life. Um, And I don't want someone to come in when I've spent all these, you know, we won't even go into how many dollars I've spent. Um, I'm not up there in the top, you know, thousand or so, I'm not even close, but, um, but, you know, I've spent enough. And let's put it that way, more than I should have on any any one single game. (laughs) So uh, I... I can't imagine someone coming in and like two days after they join, they're instantly flying at Carrick. Like that's going to annoy the snot out of me. Um, not that I, yeah. I don't want them to have fun, but it's, it represents a ability in the game to experience things. And I, if I'm going to show up, I want, you know, and there's going to be 10 other entities there, nine of them being computerized AI um, I hope that they all don't show up in Carex, right? Uh, you know, mm. uh, I want people to be, you know, I want there to be a lot of Auroras out there in the beginning and trying to do things and want to get on your ship and crew your ship so you can make more money and they can make more money and you can experience meeting new people. And I want there to be a reason to travel interstellar versus between systems, in other words, instead of just staying in one system and doing the things around one planet, right? Um, I want there to be a mechanism and a reason for exploration, right? You know, if you go into deep space, you may not find anything, but you also may find an alien planet, right? Um, with, you know, and, and be able to discover that for yourself for a while before everyone else finds out. Um, you know, I hate to think that it's all going to be just you know, five minutes worth of gameplay. Wow, I've got a, a javelin, you know? I was like, oh, yeah. So um, the amount of money they're talking about making did not seem to be in- increasing, <laughs> right? Yeah. But all the factors that go into the cost of it seem to be increasing. <laughs> if I'm just going, wow, how are you going to, how are you going to get anything done? Right. I mean, um, are multiplayer ships really going to be the thing that's, you know, is the freelancer and the, and the, and the, 
Cutlass Black really going to be the kind of the baseline of the average player who's played the game for a year? You know, I don't know. Mm, uh, it was just a good question, I, right? I was really kind of stunned by the discussion around that. Yeah. I mean, they clearly want it to be a thing. Although it's funny because I would imagine you also don't think that Star Citizen is pay to win. No, it's pay because to me, pay to win means there has to be a competition. All right, I'm not competing with anybody. If they fire at me and they blow me up, okay. I just go get my ship again and go start again. That's the That was the point of me getting the LTI ships. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't for me to be the best dogfighter in the in the play. And and you know, to my to back myself up on this is how many times do you guys see me upgrade my ships? I really don't. I don't put new engines mm. in them, I don't put new shields on them. I very rarely uh, the mining ships I might make a little bit better. But uh you know so I I it's not really pay to win for me. I have all these things because I spent a lot of money and then I had money to spend. Um, and I'm willing to share them, right? Yeah. Well, I'm more worried. About, I, I'm more worried um, about the large groups of people just cutting off whole sections of space. Right. Yeah. That will that would not be fun. You know, you can't get out of the Stanton system no matter what you have because you can't get through the you know the blockade. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully that won't be an issue. <laughs> you no, never know, though. <laughs> in, in Eve, it definitely is. Yeah. You know. Well, there's definitely going to be exploits. And um, I think. That's uh, yeah, okay. I don't think they could ever stop that. Uh, no. Uh, you know, because uh, at some point they're not going to wipe, period, right? Right. Because you can't, you know, so. But exploits will always be going to be around from patch to patch. And, yeah, there could be a situation where somebody does an exploit and all of a sudden it's flying an origin or, or, or a capital ship, you know. And, and that stuff, and that exploits are the exception. They're not the norm, right? I mean. Yeah. No, normally I do agree with you. I mean, of course, you know, if you got grind for it, you know, it's basically time versus dollars, right? That's what it right. boils down to. So, you know, time is money. So uh, you, you're not, you know, you didn't want to spend a year, you know, grinding for a carrot. You bought it. Yeah. Or others. But, but then again, it's, uh, are you really grinding or are you enjoying it? So you're playing the game, you know? Right, <laughs> uh, right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I want to play the game, but not at someone else's expense, right? Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Like if I, if I would have, if they were going to tell me that I have to do box missions, it's the only thing I can do to really be able to get ships in this game. Yeah. I don't think I would, you know, grind in that point. Yeah. I'd no, probably start I buying. I, I, and I think that would ruin the game if you couldn't grind with at a reasonable pace, right? Um, well, 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 a variety of play, of play. That's what I enjoy. Yeah. I, I don't mind starting with a basic ship, but I could do a little mining, then a little cargo hauling, and and don't get me wrong. I mean, do a box mission here, or there. You know, do different stomachs explore exploration mission, investigation mission. Then you know, you do 
uh, you know, a little, then you get to bounties and yeah, then it's okay. Even, even if they, but those bounties on the Aurora's, which is perfectly fine, you know, but at least it's a variety of gameplay. You know? Yeah. 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 It is. It's, everyone should have fun, but pay to, pay to win, you know, is kind of like, uh, to me is over applied. And too often it's applied too often to people who are just want the same things but right they didn't spend yeah. the money to get there yeah uh, this is the this is not pay to win you're absolutely right there's nothing to win you know exactly. not, there's no prize at the end of this yeah there's nothing but, you know like they said there's nothing you can't get in the game uh, yeah uh, anyway that was uh, that was actually a good discussion i like that discussion <laughs> um well, that was a, a lengthy uh, session. Should be interesting also. Um, I guess, what was your favorite session of all of them, Seagard? Uh, what was, if you had to pick one that stood out, is it the, is it the first one? Um, I, yeah, and I would say, I would actually say the mission breakout, uh, the three ways they did the missions. I think that was probably my favorite. There was a lot wrapped in that. Yeah. You know, they went through the, the, uh, friendly mode, the bad reputation mode, and then the kill them all kind of mode. Um, yep. yeah. And I, I thought that to me was my favorite part. Yep. It, um, I felt like I felt like I was at a Disney interactive park, right? I mean, that's what I felt like. Yep. As soon as, as soon Disney as park I, than I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> as, as soon as I saw that sniper laying down on that rock, I knew this is you know this is a, this is the one. You know that yellow grass. I mean, just you know the 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 whole vibe around the whole thing and the way it played out i mean everything was great that was by far my favorite part of the the whole thing yeah yeah same here i mean there were a few other things i liked but it was my most favorite for sure um one last thing granted chris roberts closed it with another short statement um, but what also was announced same day, and I don't know if it was part of the stream cause I had to pull in and out of the stream. So I was watching the videos. I have to say the one thing that was great about this year's citizen con was the videos were available immediately afterwards. Um, so I didn't have to wait, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours the next week. Um, but game glass announced they have a um, a partnership with Star Citizen, and now Game Glass, the interfaces look like the interfaces on our ships. Very cool. Hmm. And it's Very highly cool. customizable, so it should be extremely easy to use Game Glass to control your ships now, because I'm surprised Star Citizen didn't try to buy them, to be honest. Yeah, that's um, interesting. So, so if I get four iPads, that's really all that I need, right? Yeah, yeah. You can recreate any ship that you'll be in, supposedly, because you can also change the layout of where things are. So you can have the MFDs be exactly where they'd be in the ship. 
Oh yeah, that's cool. So it I'm, looks I'm going awesome. I'm going to eBay and find four used iPads. <laughs> it looks really awesome. I have an iPad and my iPhone and I will probably I mean I have game glass already. I even paid for it, so I get all the shards. Yeah, I do um, too. And yeah, looks, I just don't know what's incredible. I've used it lately because I don't know why, but it wasn't it's it's been awful a little bit. I'm gonna try it again. I haven't used it in a I, while. I mean, I'm sure with desync in the game, it's not amazing. But that I, I'm guessing it's not Game Glass's fault. <laughs> no offense, Star Citizen. Um, so moving on. Um, wow, that was, guys, that was probably the longest segment we've ever done. We have some episodes shorter than that segment. Um, <laughs> and we have a lot of questions answered and asked so um we'll, we'll probably want to breeze through this but 315 went to ptu um i would say the dumbest thing that they did was they did it in the middle of citizen con um so apparently about ten thousand people watching the twitch stream uh bounced <laughs> um, oh. to go play ptu uh, it's still in wave one but uh Am I the only one who's gone to Wave One PTU and tried it? Yeah, well, I had that. I will. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil the uh, stuff. I will say the biggest thing that I did was I looked at the new locations on Crusader, uh, which were cool. I wanted to check out the 400i since I bought it, and uh, yeah, it was extremely buggy for me. It was very slow. My inventory wasn't loading very well. Um, it was it was not ideal. I hope I hope it gets optimized because if that's the way it's going to be, I may be uh, not playing very much. So was, you know, thinking about three fourteen, you know, three fourteen, I think has actually been one of the better patches um, for stability. Gotta, I think for, I think. They've all been a little rough, right? Yeah. But I felt that 314 had a good amount of content. Um, I look at where we were last year. I mean, it, this is, it really was an important, it was an important patch. But I really found myself not playing as much for 314. Uh, you know, I was. Because really, it's content was, without gameplay. Yeah. And I know that the. Um, you know the the big sessions where we had the uh, the pirates and, and all that. I, you know those were okay. Those were fun. Um, but yeah, I felt I felt like even the mining and um, uh, and trans you know tr uh, logistics buying and selling um, was off. Um, and I'm wondering, you know. I don't know. I'm wondering because 315 is coming. It's going to have some cool things, but mm -hmm. it needs it needs more than just more complexity. It needs it needs gameplay. Yeah. Well, I think it also helps that we're starting from scratch a little bit. To be quite honest. Yeah, it does give us an incentive, and I, I think that. Well, I guess I took us on a segue, but I'm sorry. Um, but I am a two-wheeled vehicle with a gyroscope, a gyrosphere. 
<laughs> yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll let us get back on course. I just, I just, I don't know. I just had to blurt that all out. <laughs> I, feel, I feel better now. <laughs> no worries, Seagard. No worries. Well, that takes us to everybody's favorite segment for science. Does no one else hear that slowdown and speed up? No. Actually, I'm going to have to we're listen. Gonna, we're going to go through all the segments. I thought we were just going to go to Citizen Con and say goodbye, but uh, we really are oh. doing it. Huh? Well, geez, Chekhov. I, I, I <laughs> didn't realize that. He, sorry, do you have a good uh, date night no. with the wife tonight? No. That we no, should know no, about? I, um, no, I'm okay. I'm, I'm here. Okay. I'm, okay. I can't get into Star Citizen, so. I can't either. It's it's torture, but I'm trying to do PTU. So, um, anybody do anything for science? I have something, but. I really? they put it on the floor. Yeah. Oh. Seagard, anything not, for science? Not really. Yeah. Not this no. time. I honestly, I don't think I was that played that much because it was, yeah, I can't think of anything. Uh, so, well, outside of, all right, well, I, I mean, this, nah, it's not really for science. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think this will please both of you. I, in the PTU, the one thing I did accomplish was the first thing I wanted to test once I checked out the inventory and flew my 400i was I took said 400i to Ariel and I bought Laronite and I sold it. I was able to fill my ship. I made 20k on the run and it was obviously a quick run. So... I think, as people have said, I think trading is back. Let's hope okay, it stays well, that way. Nice. Yeah, which is true. Which was true for PU. But I think I mentioned in the last episode I did exact same thing, and it yeah it worked out really great. Also filled up Blair and I full of uh, Max, and uh, yeah made about thirty. Yeah, made probably about the same same as. Uh, wait, wait a second. You're saying you made 20 on a 400i. 400i holds quite a bit less than a um, um, than a max. Oh yeah, probably carries 40. Right, and I made, if I'm not wrong, almost uh, the same on the max. So what that tells me is that not not only it's back, but it's more lucrative too. I mean. If I recall the exact number, I think I bought the Laronite for a hundred and nine thousand, and I sold it for a hundred and thirty. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, yeah pretty, I'm pretty sure, sure I made twenty. Okay, well, I made it the most twenty-five, but but you know what? If you if you remember way back in the day, we used to carry Laronite all the way to <laughs> Microtech because uh, we got better price there. So maybe they adjusted the whole. Trading in which is awesome. And it was quicker to land there because you didn't have to go to the hangar. You can land right next to the dome. Right, 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 exactly. But but what I'm saying is what it sounds like though, you sold it you sold it back at Lorville, right? You got an aerial yeah. sold at Lorville. Yeah, so yeah, it, it. it definitely sounds like 
not only it's uh, the availability is there, I think it's priced better too, which is yeah. great. That's great. They, I mean, if they can get mining back, ground mining and space mining to the same level I, it was. I, I'd be you know, super pumped. Do you know what it is? I am confident that they brought everything back because they wiped. They're going to give us more opportunity to earn it back. You know? So I would say, yeah, I'd say we're going to see more more mining, more quantanium, uh, maybe even, you know, faster uh, refinery times, you know, who knows? And and definitely cargo as well. That's that's really great news. I'm, I'm probably the happiest person right now. Yeah, I mean, that's my go-to if I don't have a lot of time and I just want to do something and chat with everybody. That's my go-to gameplay. Right, right, right. If you This is like I call it like a, more of a chatty gameplay, so you don't really have to focus on the game. You exactly. Kind of, you know, because bounty is like yeah. you can't talk to anybody. You know, you're, you know, you're fighting. You talk you're to like, your crew. You right, almost have exactly. to drop into a different channel. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. And and mining too, you need to concentrate not to you know blow up the rocks. But uh, I agree with you. Cargo is like a very relaxing you know when you want to have yeah. like a little you know the old fashioned kick back and or just two all the cargo yeah. or six <laughs> or, or three <laughs> or an entire uh, carafe. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's um, how you make them. Now, now you really spilled it. Uh, so well, I, I just carafe. have the whiskey in a carafe. No, you know what I do? I have a, an infinity whiskey. Have, I've talked about this, right, Chekhov? No, I don't think so. Not on the podcast. Oh, oh so it is. If you get like a nice carafe to hold your whiskey, then you take a whiskey you like, you pour it in. It's your base whiskey. It's actually good for when you purchase decent, like you know, relatively high quality whiskeys, you, when you start to run out of the first whiskey, it depends on how long you want to leave it, but you start to pour a second whiskey in and you're able to keep trace elements of really good whiskeys almost infinitely because it'll always still have some part within the existing whiskey, but then it slowly but surely starts to evolve and change flavor. And then you start to add like, you're like, Oh, you know what? I did a bourbon and it's a little smoky. I think I might want to do something else or, or maybe I guess a rye would be a better example. I want to smooth this out. Let me put some bourbon in there. Um, and it, it makes it like a really interesting <laughs> ongoing <called> blended whiskey <laughs> dynamic. It is called a blended whiskey, but be, because it's ever evolving, <clears throat> it, but if you have like a really good whiskey, I wouldn't say like a really, really, really good whiskey, but a good one, then you could keep trace elements of that longer. Yeah, through whatever stays in that batch. Uh, anyway, uh, on to Seaguard's question. Although I feel like, did somebody mention some tips? We're going to talk like about tips. Did. Oh. Yeah, tips. I feel like someone stuff. did, but I don't know where they mentioned it. So now I'm starting to lose my train of thought we were going to start putting in tips or something that was going to be a topic and we also talked about talking about joysticks and things like that all right well 
I am going to go through the questions and if a tip is in here, we'll talk about it. But if not, I will pull them out for next week because I was too focused on citizen con to remember yeah. that we added that segment. Right, <laughs> Sorry, <right>. everybody. <laughs> and I'll create a channel in our discord for it. Um, but Seaguard's question last week was given the nature of multi-crew, how important do you think the role is for a communications officer uh, in the game? What activities do you see them performing? Uh, so Buck Nasty 420 says, I think in a finished game, a comms officer will be essential to a large ship. I'd love to see them add some sort of mini game for comms, perhaps to send or intercept encrypted messages and having skills for speaking alien languages would be really cool. Uh, Boris Kraken says, not at the moment, unless we have multiple groups on multiple channels in the future with moving large, diverse groups on a huge ship, it'll be very important. Mr. Mystery says, I think, I think a comms officer will be akin to a raid leader in a world raid MMO style event. That was well organized. I'm not sure Discord can actually handle the setup. But in years past, we'd have, say, your defense squad in a single channel, able to talk amongst themselves and with their squad leader, the flight defense team on their own comms, the capital ship team on comms, maybe engineering or drones or whomever else needs isolated comms, and then each captain leader of the division would be in a master secondary channel with the comms guy able to listen, mute any group needed. So he can relay information to the leaders of each squad as needed without the squads needing to talk directly. Uh, Jim Raymar says, sarcasm, they will hail the station in order to land. Real answer. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was going to talk about the genesis for this question, but go ahead. I want to hear the rest of the answer. Oh, yeah. There's quite a few. So uh, real answer. I think the crew options are probably going to be a bit more broad. Um, they made it seem like engineering would be a dedicated role, but the co-pilot support role seems a bit more loosely defined per ship. I like the idea of it being a role that handles coordinating with other ships while the captain directs the current ship. Captain... The Verde umbrella is taking fire and requests help. Almost like you'd use Discord for the comms people and in-game ship voice. Yeah. For uh, Did I cut you off uh, again? I don't know. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so the, the idea behind this question was that I think there's a value in using the in-game comms, but I can't see a way that they won't be at least replaced by the advantages of the perfect comms provided by Discord. And I I think that if you made it part of the gameplay, there would be an there would be some desire to do it in the game more than Discord. Mm. Uh, so it, the other thing is is like any story, that's one thing to know the whole outcome of how all the details of what happened when you listen to the game and as you're playing it and you're hearing everybody else speak, but it's another thing to say, 
wow, this was fantastic. We did this, this, and this over here. What did you guys do? And then, you know, the other ships or the other divisions get to explain all the funny things that happened to them. It opens up like that whole community feel uh, that comes afterwards if after enjoying the event. Um, mm-hmm. Right? So for me, a comms officer in the game could do things like extend the range of a signal, right? Maybe yeah. get you a little bit more power, maybe get you a little more range, maybe clear up the conversation. Um, but that's what I was trying to, to drive to. Yeah. And, uh, I, I do think there's a need for it. I don't know how they're going to make it interesting. But, but yeah, carry on. Oh, yes, there's much more. Um, so Zig says, I think if a comms officer is required, I'll use a human player as an example since we don't know much about NPC crewmen yet, then I assume the vessel is large enough for a dedicated captain slash helmsman slash engineer at least. There will supposedly be multiple channels for us to set up voice communications within Spectrum once it's in-game. Say we have 10 people in a multi-crew ship and half of them have a direct line of communication to the captain, either players or their NPCs needing orders. Um, uh, the captain of the vessel, sorry, it's a parens. While the other half are delegated to other senior officers. That's a lot of stuff for a captain to do when battle stations need to be manned. A comms officer would be crucial in keeping in constant contact with the battlefield commander and possible other captains of multi-crew vessels in a large-scale engagement, and also relaying information from other ships in general. Comms officer responsibilities would include relaying orders from a commander to the captain of a multi-crew ship, acting as the ATC for any ships that might be landing or docking with the multi-crew ship, acting as the captain's voice to the other sections of the ship, if the captain were otherwise busy. The captain would need to keep a close eye on the ever-evolving battle around their ship and what is happening inside their ship, which could potentially be no small task depending on the situation. This is where a comms officer would shine, because while the captain is busy captaining their ship, the comms officer is able to relay pertinent information to the captain while filtering out unnecessary information that's happening on the multiple channels the comms officer is monitoring. Jim Raymar has the right idea, and depending on the size of the ship, the complement of crew, uh, then the communications officer could be the navigator or first officer, or even the person that loads slash checks the cargo. If there is a large enough crew to justify having a dedicated comms officer, then it would be beneficial to clear up this role for a singular person. Mining operations come to mind when having to coordinate between an Orion, multiple haulers, and multiple prospectors slash moles. Being able to keep in constant contact with your escort ships and coordinating cargo between ships in zero-G and ships docking, undocking with one another, and making sure that the rocks being mined are being loaded and broken apart efficiently, then making it through to the refinery and being able to monitor the actual mining and breaking processes are all different things that each require a sense of awareness. The comms officer comes in handy because they won't have to do any of these things and can primarily focus on communication between ships and coordinating between captains of each ship. 
comms officer could also act as a security measure for any unauthorized communication, whether it be a crew member sending sensitive information intentionally or otherwise that could potentially harm the ship. Just spitballing here, but there could be some sort of electronic warfare attack on the con system, uh, perhaps sending a misleading message to the chief engineer saying to shut down all systems or even shuttling, shutting down voice comms within a ship entirely or both voice comms going down and sending misleading messages to the chief engineer. It's within this instance that the comms officer's first priority is to get communications back up, starting whatever the e-warfare gameplay is that they want to bring into Star Citizen. Made, mm-hmm. um, there, there's also a chart that Zake had said, made this little guy a while ago just to visualize some possible roles on the ship. Um, the bottom four examples show how many roles are assigned to each person. He essentially, it shows the overlap. Like for instance, on a Carrick, you might have somebody who's a co-pilot, but also a turret gunner in case of battle. Correct. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, uh, it comms is, you know, you know, I rode big 70 ton tanks, fearsome things, but I don't know how many times it was brow beaten into my head, but, um, the most important weapon on the tank was the radio. Yeah. I mean, if you could report what the enemy was doing, if you could report where you are and what, that there's nobody there, that was important. I mean, that radio is an important tool and we have a great start to the, the gameplay. I mean, the crackling on the comms, the way it degrades over distance. It's really Mm -hmm. cool. Um, And I'm sure isolation you get when it's not working. Yeah. Uh, so Kilgore says a very long time ago during my Arma two days, I often played with a very large realism clan who did extremely large multi-day mill sim events. A mod existed to integrate team speak channels into, uh, uh, physicalizing them into the game radios. I'm sure Seaguard is familiar with ANPRC radios. Oh yeah. These radios allowed communication between command. <laughs> who often were outside of the actual game all the way down to the platoon level. Communications officers here functioned as true to life as possible and relayed information between as many as 120 people. During Star Citizen pir- piracy operations, I attempted to do something in the spirit within our org, sending out three gr- groups of um, two pirates each to scout moons for miners under the direction of yours truly. When a target was spotted, the lead, the flight lead would relay to command the location and the command would coordinate the other teams to intercept. Having many people all in one discord channel tends to produce a lot of needle needless chatter and distraction, breaking the teams down this way um, using the gilded app kept the group focused on the mission. Seaguard does the loader operate the radio in an Abrams seems like the TC would have too much else going on, much like the captain of a multi-crew ship. One thing is for sure, dozens of people all the way down to the individual level sharing scuttlebutt in the middle of an event is terrible for the operation. Um, then Zeke goes on to say one of my favorite mods ever to exist Task Force Radio did the same for Arma 2 and Arma 3. The fact that proximity voice chat also worked from the direction the player 
was amazing, like Star Citizen currently has implemented with proximity voice and direction. And also being able to talk underwater and it be garbled was awesome. Uh, Cody says, one of my favorite features in TFR is the ability to pan channels. I can have command channel in my right ear and squad channel in my left ear. And then um, Kilgar says, you wouldn't be surprised to know I wasn't in your group. We played as the Opt 4. Ah, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, really interesting stuff. Uh, I 100% think that the game needs to figure this out more. Um, yeah. And I also think one thing that I think a comms officer might also have some responsibility for is if you look right now, we can make comms calls in pretty much almost any proximity. But I feel like down the road, you might need to use the comm arrays to bounce calls off and a comms officer might have to route a call. Right. Right. Or something like that. That would be really cool. Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I just think it's, um, I think there's, there's, uh, there's like two aspects of this game, and this is where I wrestle. One is the aspect of what are they going to deliver us and what are we going to be able to, and what are we going to be, be able to play out of the box. And then the second layer is what is the difference, you know, that we're going to bring as orgs to increase the value of the gameplay on the set that they've given us, right? Mm -hmm. We could all just fly around in individual ships, all flying carricks, but that's not going to be very much fun. Nope. Uh, when you start putting some of these in-game, you know, variables to use and you come up with creative ways to overcome them, I think that's when the gameplay, the org play will become much more fun. Yeah. So I, I pontificate agree. again. I mean, great stuff. Um, do you have a question for next week? I do. It's a little easier. Um, in fact, I already had a comment for someone. Uh, already had a comment on the question. But this week's is, um, so this was kind of a simple one, but it's basically, um, okay, given the density of the things to do and experience in a single, sol single solar system, like Stanton has an enormous amount of stuff, like planets and cities and view, you know, scenery and things to buy and sell, um, are you basically, do you see yourself traveling, traveling frequently between systems, kind of like an interstellar spaceman? Or do you see yourself more like a system player where you stay relatively within one system? Right? Because like yeah. sailors, you, you always hear the sailor, well, I sail to see this, you know, the different cities and have a girl at every port or a boy in every port, as it may be. Uh, nowadays, uh, but that's an experience in itself, right? But you're not going to be able to experience all the depth within a city. You become more like a tourist. On the other yeah. hand, you might want to be a tourist. You just might want, and there was a whole guy who did a guide to Eve online, right? He did all the systems. He went to all the sites and did a blog on his travels, which I thought was really creative. I mean, there's a lot to see, um, you know, or are you going to be someone who just, you know, grinds away and has an 890 jump and everything else and a whole D and E and you're flying just back and forth between Stanton and Arcor trying to make more money? 
you know, there's, you know, what, what are the, uh, what are the differences, right? I mean, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to get to. So do you see yourself doing awesome. system travel work or do you see yourself doing interstellar? If you do see interstellar, what type of travel, do you, what, what's the purpose of that travel? That's great. Um, just so you know, you posted that in the host Q and a, yes. And you have some more answers there. I don't know if you can move it. I tried to move it. It didn't. Work. Oh, an idiot. Um, <laughs> I, I can post it in Sigurd's questions. Ursa, Ursa move, um, post reposted it for you. Okay. Um, Thank yeah. you. No problem. Uh, so questions for us. Um, and actually there's quite a few, um, so Boris Kraken, and these are all from Discord. Boris Kraken says, at Seaguard, when you were talking about dropships, uh, this is more of a comment. Uh, when you were talking about dropships, things like the Reliant Tana won't be. Remember, they recently spoke about life support, and you won't be able to clown car extra people in a ship unless you take oxy, oxy pens for them. Um, but then he goes on to say, at Seaguard, when you will go... Uh, shopping for clothing and other space accessories. What will be your chariot of choice to plop planet side to grab the latest threads? It's definitely going to be the 400 I. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You'd be fancy. Yeah. And I get, I'll have closets and everything. So I was thinking about that with hangers, but I would, nice. I would like to disagree with him in that, um, in that, uh, oh boy, if I could remember what I disagreed with, um, um, Tana wouldn't be a drop. Tana, shot. yeah. So, if I'm going to put down a scout team of two people to observe something, Tana is a perfect ship. It's a two-person ship with accommodations for two and two weapons, two suit lockers, and enough cargo space for one SAU. Low signature, low cost, low risk of losing it. And it can also carry the camera on the end from the um, from the uh, news van version, the Mako. Yeah, yeah. So you can get enhanced optics. Well, he didn't say that that wouldn't be viable. I think what he said is it, it wouldn't be a dropship. Oh, see, I would say it's a dropship for the section of scouts. Ah, maybe yeah. that's maybe yeah, that's you don't want to take for people. Drop off two scouts, right? I mean, that's yeah. Silly. Oh, so he's probably thinking of it different. Yeah, like yeah. I wouldn't call that a dropship based yeah. on that description. I'd call it reconnaissance. Well, good point. Good. Which in that good. case, it's perfect for. Yeah. A good point. Good point. Um, he asks everyone, "What planet slash city do you plan to start on next patch, and why?" Seaguard, what's your home planet? Hmm. It's a great question, by the way. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Microtech this time. Okay. Why? Um, number one, we always go to Hurston, and that's where we always end up. But I want the, I want the feeling of being farther away, and I also want to experience the uh, the, the extreme weather they have up there. Cool. I want to force myself to have to change uniforms and. Now you do supplies. know that all your items are going to be located there too, right? That's correct. 
Okay. Yeah. Just want to make sure. Hey, <laughs> better increase the you check off. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, would exactly. have to be more practical. It's definitely Hurston for me because that's where uh, most of the uh, mining, refining, hauling, and, and bounties are. So it's definitely Hurston. I would go Microtech as well. I hate Hurston with a passion, and it just takes too long to leave Crusader. So I feel like Microtech is that perfect balance for me. Uh, plus they have the garages in case you can't spawn vehicles anywhere else. So uh, that's my choice. Yeah. I think um, Area 18 gets is underrated. I think Area 18 is pretty darn good too. But I, I, I like Area 18. Yeah. Um, so Zake says... Oh, he's sort of expanding upon what Boris said. To expand upon this, it is indeed planned that G-forces will be able to harm or kill occupants, which is why the Valkyrie dropship dedicated passenger seats will be required for hygiene maneuvers and when you're taking shots from other ships in a hot landing zone. I would also say a lot of those seats are able to accommodate larger um, armor Boris. types. Yeah. Yeah. Then just a light armor. I think you can do medium, maybe even large, uh, large, or heavy, <laughs> not large. Um, well, I can, I can assure you that the military does not provide you with a large seat ever. It's the smallest imaginable <laughs> seat with the worst ergonomics you can imagine, and then they make you wear all your armor and crap on it. Mm -hmm. It is. It is like sitting on a, a single chair with four guys who are all part of the football team in their gear. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's 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 uh, it's hard to, to to fit in those things. I can imagine. Um, the next question is. Sorry, I lost my lost my page. Oh, uh, Boris says um, your thoughts on sitcom. When do you think we'll see Pyro? Even though some of it was faked, there was no quantum location on the HUD uh, to that base. Thoughts on? It's a lot of questions. Thoughts on new come? All right, let's go with the first part, and then we'll go with the second. Um, we pretty much talked about our thoughts on CitizenCon in, in general. But Seaguard, when do you think we'll see Pyro? I'm going to be really optimistic, and I am going to say the middle of next year. What about you, Chekhov? Uh, Pyro? Yeah. I think I already, uh, yeah, I, I would say towards the end of next year, right? It's got to happen before CitizenCon. It's literally going to be down to the wire. Yeah, I think it's going to be the Q3 patch, to be quite honest. Um, I didn't mind that it was faked, by the way, um, because the idea that you could just shoot and blast the shopkeeper dead is just as interesting as if that were an actual mission. Um, though I would have liked to see a mission, but let's face it, there's so many missions we haven't gotten in-game yet that I don't need to see another one. 
Um, and then he asked thoughts on new commodity items. Tony Z mentioned that Quanta will be running the prices on, and this is at the end of the year, by the way, Quanta will be running the prices on plasma fuel, um, repair material and repair pricing. Um, I truthfully think plasma is just another way for describing hydrogen, but I don't know. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that part of the segment, Seagard? You might you might not have seen that. Yeah, that one. Um, I think you guys told me about it more than anything. Um, I, I think that will be interesting. Um, and I was also I understand the repair paste or the repair material. Um, mm-hmm. The plasma was the interesting one. I don't know if that's fuel. I, well, I don't it's know what plasma it is. fuel it's called. Yeah. And I'd like to elaborate on one thing uh, where you said, you know, the, the fact that you could shoot the shopkeeper was, was um, you know, exciting to you. Just think of how hmm. exciting it is to be in a go, to go into Tram and Meyer and find that guy on Hearst then who's constantly saying, it was supposed to be my day off. Are you just picking that up, or are you going to throw it on the ground? You know, like, oh, that guy that's in the shop store. That will be for full persistence is in. I'm gonna bla- I'm gonna blast his head off. Yeah. <laughs> will you put it back? <clears throat> yeah, put this back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, what about you, Chekhov? What did you think about those three fuel types? Three uh, commodity types. Um, which I'm oh, sorry, I'm 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 chatting with somebody in Discord. Which commodity types again? <laughs> Plasma hmm. fuel. This is from Tony Z. Uh, oh, okay, repair okay. material and repair pricing. Oh, okay. Because uh, Quanta is going to be running those costs. I I I, I missed what, exactly what he was. Uh, Essentially, he said, because as as Tony Z mentioned, quantum is going to be integrated partially the end of this year. The goal is to slowly integrate things into it so that, you know, they have the ability to test and clearly watch and understand the three things that Tony Z mentioned as what quantum will be uh, dictating is plasma fuel repair material sales and repair pricing what uh you know what are your thoughts on those yeah i I think uh you know probably all three are relevant you know Mm. definitely uh the fuel is definitely would be the number one yeah i think what's interesting about it there's two things well I think it speaks to more things to come than anything else. So plasma fuel might be something related to the Starfarer and its gameplay functionality, which we know is is probably in a short-term horizon, but they haven't been able to pick when it's going to happen. Repair material, I think that's a sale from... I think that's going to be a material you sell when you strip a ship... Yeah. And salvage, which is coming at the end of the year. So let me ask you a question. 
just had this eureka thought. So they say Quanta is going to be managing that, but we're obviously mm-hmm. not going to see the Quanta in the game. So are they going to be reacting to missions in their little model and then generating the price for materials? That's well, what I think is going to happen. In other words, we're going to play and we're going to have so many ships destroyed and everything else. But they're also going to be, in effect, reacting to those same conditions. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be driving the price instead of us. I mean, it's 90% to 10%, right? Because yeah. the 9 to 10, 9 to, nine to 1 rule. So um, they have to combine in, the two together. In theory. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, well, Quanta, you will see if you encounter a probability volume where it triggers quanta. Yeah, so the quanta like a ship appear or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, I mean that's gonna be interesting and I think it just it, it makes it sound really I'm glad that, that that's happening this year. Yeah. It, it feels too. like a big cornerstone that maybe isn't on the roadmap right now, but at the same time is something that is going to be, you know, huge, huge leaps and bounds ahead. Um, MK3 generic says with the recent liberator concept announcement in mind, in which areas fuel consumption, maneuverability, etc. I keep hearing things in my apartment. My cats are right next to me. Um, in which areas do you see the Hercules being a better ship? Seaguard. Um, I think cost. I think I think it's going to be more effective to use a C two than a Liberator. Okay. I think com- commercially it's going to be more effective. Okay. What do, What do you think, Chico? Uh, yeah, I agree with the, with the Seaguard on this one. I think it's a yep. I fall into a it depends because there's two things. If we're talking about strictly vehicles, then sure, the Hercules is better off. But the Hercules isn't truthfully built for for ships. Um, the other thing that you have to remember is the Liberator technically has. I think a smaller crew size too, or at least the same. Same as a C2. Yeah. So I don't know. I think the liberator is actually going to be more efficient. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, Buck nasty 42. O asks with the 400, I revealed and meant to rival the constellation series. Do you think the 600? I will finally get reworked to rival the Carrick. I already know way too geeky will say the Carrick has no rivals. Um, Seaguard? No, I think the 600i will rival the Carrick. Yeah, I think the 600i has its own unique um, window or niche that it fits in, right? it's, um, it's It's not a robust military grade ship that the Carrick is, right? It's, uh, it doesn't mean it's not a, a, a real commercial exploration vehicle, but uh, 
you know, if I was to if I was to go exploring in, in the ocean in, in a ship that looked like the Carrick or one that looked like the Origin, if I was going to the Hawaiian Islands and there was no hurricanes, I'd go on the six hundred I. But if I was going to go to the Arctic or the around the Cape of Good Hope, um, I would definitely want to be in a Carrick. <laughs> right? Mm. It's, it's you know, it's uh, it's just a sturdier looking ship. What do you think, Chekhov? They're yeah, they're they're in a separate uh, uh, categories, and I don't think knowing Star Citizen they would do that. Yeah, that's I'm I'm with Sigurd. That's you know, uh, they both have their own purposes, and they're going to keep it that way. Yeah, I I think the. First of all, I wouldn't overestimate what the rework actually ends up being for the 600i. I would get I would set your expectations to medium at the very least, but it's still not as robust a ship and I think of the 600i as the exploration vehicle for those with wanderlust and sort of a touring exploration in mind whereas i think of the carrick as a little bit more functional where you know you're likely not just plotting jump points but maybe actually engaging in some hard science i think the carrick just has more flexibility um i don't think any changes to the 600i is going to change how much it competes directly with the carrick um and it's just a smaller class ship. It It's funny because I always felt like the 600i was an interesting competitor to the Connie because of the crew size. Um, but it is slightly, it's sort of in between. It's a, it's a smaller, large ship. Right. I, I, I would a medium say large ship. Really? You are, you are absolutely right in that the Connie is the small, large ship. If, it's a large ship and it's a, it carries more capability and functions in it than yeah. Connie's a closer competitor to Carrick the than Connie, a 600i. Yeah. The, the Connie is a, is a practical solution to some kind of exploration and discovery. Yeah. The Carrick is equipped. It is the USS enterprise. It's yeah. Goes everywhere. It so has its far. own repair shop. It has drones. It has yeah. shuttles. It has, you know, it has everything. Uh, massive amounts of cargo. It's just more robust. The 600i is, uh, hey, let's go visit the Titanic. I'm wealthy today. I think we can go down there and look at that today. Yeah. You're right. I mean, maybe we'll find something. Yeah. It's James Cameron going in the. <laughs> right, right. You know, uh, it, it's it's not a charter research vessel, but it could be used that way that way very easily. Yeah, I'm sure it'll it'll undoubtedly have some kind of perk that the Carrick doesn't. I because that's three, the way that they're making ships. I have all three, and I think I'm gonna you know eventually be back there getting the Dur because I think the Dur also has a place. Oh, I think the Dur has no place. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, last question comes from Admiral Cody. It's to yours truly. Question for Geeky: Would you melt your Carrick if Anvil released a Carrick too? Um, it's funny that you say that. I probably wouldn't, just because you know I love my original ship. But 
I think he brings up an original, not an original, an interesting concept is long term. They do. They did say <clears throat> that they might re-release newer versions, versions of ships yeah. as if it was like a newer model. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a long ways off, but it, it is interesting. And I probably would keep my original because it's my original, but I'd probably also get the new one. Too, if they released it yeah. and it had more functionality, if it was the same thing, or if it was the same thing but it looked really like slightly cooler, then yeah, I would still get it. Also, yeah, Every, all the ships is I, my I, favorite I ship. definitely try to use. I, I don't know if you're the same way, but I buy ships for the purpose of um, for a purpose. It's different than someone else, some other ship's purpose, and then I also buy them with the with the capability to make me money to buy the next ship more easily right they're all that i focus on mm-hmm. the industrial ships more than i do the fighters yeah me too and and when i buy ships i mean where i get stuck in aesthetics it's funny because i actually initially bought the carrick on the cool factor because i was just like oh my goodness this is the coolest thing i've ever seen um and obviously, well, for those who don't know, it was way before it was released. Um, and I'm one of those people that actually really likes how it turned out compared to what they were yeah, showing too. us. Um, for a lot of different reasons, I actually think it looks better than the concept. A lot of people don't feel that way. Um, but for instance, the 400i, I just really thought that was a beautiful ship inside. And figured, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a smaller crew requirement exploration ship, so I'll make that one mine because I, I unfortunately don't like the Connie, even though the Merlin makes it really interesting. Uh, now that they integrated that, but yeah, that's uh, that's how I think about it for the most part. Um, so that is all of our questions for this week. If you have any questions, things you did for science, thoughts, comments, feelings, um, answers to our questions, you can always um, post those um, either by submitting them via email at readcastsc at gmail.com. You could DM our Twitter handle at readcastsc. You could submit a message through Anchor or on our Readcast Discord. You can engage. There's a number of channels. Um, and people predominantly engage there, or you can text us or leave a voicemail at 646-783-8154. If you are looking for an org out there, um, and we see people joining uh, from the listeners every day, well, not every day, but frequently, um, don't forget to take a look at Reed. Uh, We are respectful, law-abiding, fairly active organization uh someone even today said wow you guys are active there's a backlog of comments that i didn't even notice Mm -hmm. um but check out read we stand for research and engineering through exploration and discovery um we also have a, a number of content creators out there so take a look at earth's videos he was just recently on uh as well as listen to the music that admiral cody and calibri have been creating 
Um, really good stuff. They have a soundtrack as well as the music that is found in this episode. And that, dear friends. One more wraps thing. Up. Oh, good. One more thing. We need you to say? talk about. I, okay, I'm gonna. Do, I'll do it quick. And sorry, yeah. Badger, I cut him off, but I had to. He was gonna finish. So, for those who don't know, and goodbye. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you are morale officer, ready? Yeah, that's right. So, if uh, if you were uh, if you were not aware, because we didn't tell you what we did as an org for Citizen Day, or, or uh, Star Citizen, uh, uh, the the show the other day, we actually Citizen had yeah. um, CitizenCon. Yeah, we actually had 17 of us got on Discord and we all ended up streaming it individually to our PCs, but we basically sat in the background and chatted and talked and guys are explaining what type of beer they were drinking or, or sodas or whatever and, um, you know, asking questions of each other. And uh, it was pretty good. I mean, the largest turnout we've had for any event is 22. And that was just, what, four weeks ago? Three weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and we had seventeen of us on when I was on. So and that was for a good four hours at least at the event. I mean, so so that's what yeah. we did. It was a good time. I think uh, I think everybody had a good casual day watching it together. So I would have been a part of it if I wasn't in Connecticut. I would have been on all day. But you were getting um, married. No, I was not. I only recently got out of one of those. Uh, not uh, not hankering for another one anytime soon. <laughs> I think I'm going to get a call by the morale officer for that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm I, I'm at peace. <laughs> Guess what? I get to play a lot more Star Citizen than I did when I was. <laughs> Man's got to have his priorities. <laughs> Are you playing your game again? Yes. <laughs> What's the alternative? <laughs> Reality TV? Game. Uh, Thanks. Bye. Um, <laughs> well, that, dear friends, wraps up another episode of Readcast. Thank you, fellow citizens, again for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.